You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Hey guys, it's good to be with you tonight. <clears throat> if you're new with us and I haven't met you yet, my name is Joe, one of the leaders here. And uh, I'm uh, super privileged to dive into the scriptures with you. Um, we're going to dive into Luke chapter 17 again. Uh, this week will be in verses um, 7 through 10. I'm sorry, we were in verses 7 through 10 last week. You guys don't want to hear the same message again, do you? This week will be in verses 11 through 19. I know we've prayed a lot already um, in, our, in our gathering, um, but I want to try something. Um, I'm going to try praying through a psalm real fast. Um, just asking God to be with us in presence. If you just bow your heads with us. Father, um, Lord, as we come before you tonight um, with your word open in front of us, Lord, we just want to pause. Um, already just walking onto the stage this evening, I feel a little bit, um, uh, a little bit stirred up and a little bit uneasy. And uh, I feel um, the time crunch even as our evening uh, carries forward. But I just want to just pause. I just want to remember, Lord God, that your heavens declare your glory. That your sky proclaims your handiwork. Every day and every night reveals um, the knowledge that we need. Lord, I know that there is, there is no speech, no words, no voice that isn't heard. Lord, we know that your voice goes out from one end of the earth into the other. Lord, we know like the sun that shines upon us every day, that there's no way that we can be hidden from you or hidden from your sight. Lord, we know and we trust that your law is perfect. It revives our soul, that your testimony is sure. It gives wisdom to us who are simple in the ways that we think. That your precepts or your rules, your laws are right and brings joy to our heart. And that your commandments are pure and bring refreshment to our eyesight and to our, to our hearts. Lord, we know that to fear you is to be clean forever. We know that your love endures forever. We know that your rules are true and righteous we know that your words, your laws, your commands are to be more desired than fine gold or honey. We also know that those of us who serve you are warned by your word, that we are given warnings, and that to keep them is a great reward for us. Father, we know that we are blind to our own sin and our own failures. God, we just ask that you, through the power of the blood of Christ and through the message of the gospel, that you would declare us innocent in your sight. Pray, God, that you would protect us, that you would keep us back from sin and from harm and from the dominion or the, the bondage that seeks to enslave us. Lord, we pray that you would protect us from that. Pray, God, that you would just shower us in the message of the gospel. Remind us that we are blameless and innocent because of Jesus. And lastly, Lord God, I just pray that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. 
Amen, amen. Uh, for reference, that was Luke, or I'm sorry, Psalm 19. Um, have been just making it a little bit of a um, discipline in my, in my own life in the mornings as I get up and open the scriptures and open my journal to just spend time taking the Psalms and just turning them into my own personal prayer and just kind of rewording them but trying to um, preserve the theme of what's being said there. And it's been so good for my soul. It's, it's been um, calming to my soul. And so I um, just thought I would like to share that with you before we dive into preaching um, this evening. So the question on the screen for you is this. How, how do you come to Christ? How do you come to Christ? The question that we wrestled with last week in verses 7 through 10, and it's the same question that we're going to be wrestling with again tonight as we look through verses 11 through 19. Last week in, in part one of this message, we wrestled with what it looks like to come to Jesus as his servants. We wrestled with what it means to serve Jesus by working hard instead of living like God owes us something. To be Christ-centered followers rather than self-centered and self-serving egoists. We learned that it means to serve God by humbly obeying his word rather than pridefully disobeying his word. At the question we're left with after that study, and as we dive into this week again, is have you come to Christ as his servants? Like think about your job and your marriage and your friendships. Are you working hard to serve Christ in those places? Are you putting Jesus first in everything that you think, say, and do in all those relational categories? Are you, are you putting Christ first? Would, would people say that you are a Christ follower? Would they know Jesus when they see you? Would they see Jesus in your life? Would they say that you are Christ-centered when you, when you come to Christ what we learned is that, that, that we must come to him as somebody who is ready to serve him. And my, my prayer is just this. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would move on our hearts and compel us. I mean, the, the picture of compel is to, is to be motivated. It, it's an inner compulsion to be compelled to follow Christ in the way that we serve him. My, my hope and my prayer is that God would compel us to serve Christ by the very picture of Christ himself, who was and still is our suffering servant. My prayer is that we would be compelled to come to him, that we would be willing to work hard, be Christ-centered, humble, and obedient. But the problem for all of us is this. The problem for some of us is that what Jesus says in these passages sounds really hard, sounds really difficult, sounds almost harsh at times. Jesus says some really hard things when he speaks. He doesn't gloss things over and he doesn't like paint this picture of this real easy faith. When Jesus calls us to be his disciples, he invites us into a journey of suffering as he hands us a cross, which really is an instrument of torture. Try that one on for an invitation to come be part of the family of God. 
You want to come be part of the family of God? Here, the way that you do that is to pick up an instrument of torture. It's to pick up a device that is meant to torture someone until they die horrendously. That's the invitation that we get when Jesus calls us. The message of the gospel is a message that invites us into a life of suffering and death. Yet to follow Christ is also to follow him who served us, and in so doing to find true joy, true happiness, true satisfaction, true wholeness in the message of the gospel. To follow Christ is to be his disciple, and to be his disciple means to serve him who served us through the suffering of the cross on our behalf so that we could be made whole and complete again so that we could be healed, so that we could be set free, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, but instead so that we could become slaves or servants, bond servants, enslaved to, chained to Christ himself, so that we might be made to become just like him, so that we could be transformed, changed, sanctified would be the theological word that would be used, to become holy as God is holy, that as you and I are changed, chained as bondservants to Christ, we are actually, in effect, given true freedom. We are set free from the old ways of living, from the old ways of thinking and desiring and behaving. To be enslaved to Christ actually means to be set free. It's to taste true freedom. Listen, without Christ, you are not free. You're enslaved. You're enslaved to either God himself or you are enslaved to your sinful living. To come to Christ and to follow him is to be set free from those sins. It's to die to those sins as Christ died for us on the cross. Therefore, the fruit and the evidence in our lives should be that of growing in holiness, not stagnantly staying in the sinful patterns of our lives. We come to Christ, we, it's, it's as though we come to him so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, but, in, but instead become slaves or servants to Christ Jesus. Christ offers us all we could ever want. All we could ever want, we find in Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his glorification, and his certain return to take us home to the presence of our Father, who is the embodiment of love. The question for us now is this, like how do we come to Christ? Do we come to Christ as his servants? Do you come to Christ as a person in great need of him? Do you come to Christ as a person who trusts in him? Look at Luke 17 verses 11 through 19. Luke tells us that Jesus, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance, lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return 
and give praise to God except this foreigner. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Here's the deal. When we come to Christ, we must come to him as people in great need. Like, think about this. What stops you from coming to Christ as a person in great, deep need of him? What stops you from that? What holds you back? What are the barriers? What are the walls that are in front of you that are stopping you from coming to Christ in great need? People who believe they're clean don't believe they need Jesus. People who believe they're perfectly healthy don't believe that they need Jesus. Can you imagine a person who believes that they smell perfectly fine when in reality they need a really good shower? Does this person really believe that they're in great need of mercy? Or are they just stuck in the bondage and slavery of self-justification? Can you imagine a person who believes that they are perfectly healthy when in reality they are terminally ill, going to die, have a sickness that is killing them slowly, but they actually believe they are fine? Does this person really believe that they are in great need of healing? Or are they just stuck in the bondage of self-help? These two problems of self-justification, which is basically trying to prove that I am okay, and self-help, which is looking to myself to make myself okay, these are barriers to coming to Christ as people in great need. We're in great need of mercy. We are in great need of mercy. And self-justification or this, this thing that we do where we try to prove that we are all right and that we are okay, this is a barrier that stops us from believing that we actually need God's mercy. Instead of seeing ourselves as people in great need of mercy, we actually see ourselves as people with our checkmark list of one, two, three, four, five of our accomplishments that then prove our worth. God, you owe me something. I did all this for you. Luke tells us that as Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And then as he entered a village, right, he was met by 10 lepers. 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Like what's happening here is Jesus is encountering a really unhealthy community of people. Like I want you to put yourself in this place right now. Like one of the hardest places for probably any of us to go to is that place where we actually legitimately acknowledge, yo, Jesus, I'm sick. I'm unhealthy. I'm not as healthy as I've been trying to prove that I am. I'm not as healthy as I've been trying to, to, to say that I am. I'm actually really unhealthy, Jesus, and I need you to come and give me mercy and make me whole. That's the place I want you to put yourself in for a moment. Don't be thinking about the person next to you. Don't be thinking about your spouse or a friend or, or a family member. I want you to think about yourself and where your heart is, where your heart is. Where is your heart today? Is it healthy or is it unhealthy? Because this community of people that Jesus encounters in this passage are super unhealthy. He's encountering a sick family of lepers. Think about the lepers. Lepers were not allowed to be in relationship with healthy people because they had a serious skin disease. 
They couldn't live in town with their families. They couldn't enjoy the intimacy of close relationship, conversation, physical touch. They couldn't enjoy this. They were alone. They were unhealthy. They were sick. To be a leper was to be an outcast whom everyone stared at and avoided because their problems, their problems, these lepers, their problems inside their community was far too great for others to step into and to risk because the risk of catching their infection was too high. Can you hear the desperation in the voices of these lepers as they cry out to Jesus? Have mercy on us, Jesus. Have mercy on us, Master. Have mercy on us, Lord. Like This is the place that Jesus wants our hearts to be in great, deep need of mercy. And for those of you that are here and you say you follow Jesus, I just want to ask you, what is it that moves you from the place of saying and knowing and acknowledging and resting in your great, deep need of God? mercy. Isn't it really that you move from that place because you get your eyes on something other than Jesus himself? Isn't it because you get your eyes on something in your life that isn't going right? Isn't it because you get your eyes on somebody else who isn't doing what you think they should be doing? Isn't that the real reason that we get out of this place of knowing and understanding our deep need of Jesus and then just resting there? Isn't that the reason why? Jesus comes to these lepers. Can you, can you hear the lonely cries of these lepers? Can you imagine the years of isolation and shame that they endured? Can you, can you imagine their feelings of failure and hopelessness because true healing had kept evading them? Can you imagine their desire for someone to just have mercy on them and just to extend a healing touch or a healing hand towards them? And these lepers, they needed the same exact thing as we need, and that's mercy. This is what Christ offers to all who would come to him in great need of mercy. The lepers couldn't fix themselves. You and I can't fix ourselves. They couldn't justify themselves or prove how they were okay because it was obvious to everyone that they weren't okay. It's obvious to everyone that they weren't okay. Couldn't fix themselves, couldn't justify themselves, they couldn't cover up their shame, they couldn't hide their sickness. Their sickness was obvious to everyone, no matter how much they sought to seclude themselves or build bunkers of self protection. These lepers were sick, they were unhealthy, they were in deep, deep need of God's mercy. What they needed the most is exactly what you and I need. It's to bask. It's to, it's to rest. It's to be in the shower of God's mercy. What we need the most is his mercy. But we have a tendency to move on from our need of God's mercy to moving back to proving that we're okay. I'm okay because I showed up to church. I'm okay because I prayed that prayer. I'm okay because I got this list of friends. I'm okay because I got my husband or my wife to do this or that or this or that. I'm okay because I overcame this thing when in reality you and I are not okay. And what we need is the mercy of our Father in heaven as he gives his son at the cross to remind us that the instrument of torture and death and suffering is what sets you and I free to truly live still in need 
of God's mercy, never moving to that place where we would say, I'm fine, I'm okay. Never moving to that place where we'd say, I'm better than you are because your life sucks and went off tilt. What we need is God's mercy, and we must live there. We must refuse to be moved from that place. Amen. Yeah, amen. That's right. That's right. Our sin is like an infectious skin disease that leaves us rotting in the stench of death. I hear some people say he talks about sin too much. Do you read your Bibles? Do you read your Bibles? Because if you do, you'll find that sin happens to be a well-spoken-of topic in the Bible. Meant to turn us towards the picture of Christ and our deep need for mercy. These lepers said, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Let me just ask you, let me just ask you, what is it, what is it that is in your soul? What is it that is in your heart right now? What do you think you need the most? Do you think you need that touch from another man? Do you think you need to look at that pornographic image on the TV screen or the, the computer screen again? Do you think that you need more food? Do you think you need to jab a vein again? Do you think that you need to smoke that joint again? Do you think that you need to just change your spouse so that life would be better? What do you think you need? Because according to my scriptures that I read, that I pray all of you would be turned to read, is the only thing that you and I need is the mercy of our Father in heaven. It's all we need. There's no reason to talk about anything else other than our need for mercy. And these lepers were like, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Our sin is like an infectious skin disease that leaves us rotting in the stench of death. Our sin first creates chaos in our relationship to God. This is our vertical relationship. It creates distance and chaos in our relationship vertically to God. And then as an outflow of that, listen, I can always tell when somebody's relationship with God is on tilt. You know how I know? It's when their relationships with everybody else around them is on tilt too. Right? Like the chaos between you and God is obvious when all of your relationships around you are filled with absolute chaos and you are trying to control everybody else to give you what you think you want and what you think you need. It's obvious. It's a skin disease, right? It's a sin disease is actually what this is. Our sin disease is just like the skin disease that we see in this passage. And what we need is God's mercy. That's what we need. We don't need anything else. Every time I sit with a young woman who is stuck once again in the bondage of sexual sin with man after man after man after man, I know, I know that the reality is that her heart is not given over to the wholehearted worship of God. Every time I encounter marriages that are busting at the seams because they're an absolute wreck, what I know is that these people in this marriage have not yet come to a place where they see their deep need of God's mercy. They think they need other things. And what I'm here to proclaim in your midst tonight is that you need none of that. All you need is God's mercy. I could preach this one word, need and mercy. For the rest of the night, what is it that would cause you to move away from that? There's no hope in anything else. It's all broken. 
There's no hope in any relationship. There's no hope in your computer. There's no hope in the late night spent out partying. There's no hope there whatsoever. None. The only hope that you and I have gives me great joy to proclaim it to you is found in Christ Jesus, broken and bloodied at the cross, whereby we see the picture of God's mercy towards us. You and I need nothing but God's mercy. Mercy from our Father is what we need the most. And the cross of Christ is the picture of the Father's mercy for us. Why wouldn't we come to Christ crying out for his great mercy that he has freely offered for our sick souls? Why would we keep trying to prove that we are okay because of our list of accomplishments, our list of everyone else's failures, as we attempt to shift the blame from us to others, as we attempt to shift our shame so no one can truly see us? The reality is that you and I need God's mercy. Why? Ask yourself, why would I resist God's mercy? You know why? We resist God's mercy because we think we're finding our fulfillment somewhere else. And when we come to Christ, we must come to him as people not only in great need of mercy, but also in great need of cleansing. Self-help or the tendency to go it alone and look to ourselves for our healing. This is the barrier. This is the barrier that stops us from believing that we need Jesus to cleanse us. Instead of seeing ourselves as people in deep need of mercy and cleansing, we minimize, we ignore, we excuse, we blame, we hide our shameful failures on our external circumstances rather than admitting a deadly sickness that is running rampant within us. We jump from one self-help technique to the next to try to fix ourselves. That's what we do. Luke tells us that Jesus doesn't give these lepers another self-help book or another talk show with Dr. Phil or Oprah Winfrey. It's not what Jesus does. What Jesus does instead, he says, does this. Is when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One commentator on this passage says that priests effectively worked as public health inspectors. Now, some of you are thinking, I heard this, right? Some of you got to be thinking, I've heard this already, right? There's a reason for that. As, as I survey our church, and I realize like there's half of us here tonight because the other half are gone for Father's Day, but as I survey our church family, I am deeply aware of the work that God needs to do, that we need God to do in our midst to bust us past some barriers of sin and brokenness, like to truly bring out true brokenness, not just worldly sorrow where we're like, oh, I'm sorry I got caught for that. I'm sorry I look bad. I'm sorry I'm walking in my shame now. Let me try to hide that and fix myself and prove to you how I'm okay. What really needs to happen is we need to come to a place of brokenness where we say, I'm broken because of this sin and I need Jesus to heal me. We can't look to ourselves and we can't look to others to fix this. Only Jesus at the cross, only us at the foot of the cross crying out for mercy will bring us what we need. But there's far too many of us that are walking around faking it and pretending and proving and putting on our face and holding up our Bibles like, Hallelujah, amen, Pastor. Hey, you 
should still say amen, Dave, because I appreciate that when you do that. But the problem for us is we put this big, fat, fake face on, man. We walk in and we pull out our script out of our pockets like good little actors that we've become. We put our little masks over our face and we pretend to be someone that we're not. And part of the way that we do that is by pointing everybody else and getting the shame, the blame off of us. And the reality is that we all need cleansing. We need to be truly cleansed. So Jesus looks at these lepers. He says, hey, hey man, go see the public health inspector. So they turn and they head for their meeting with their caseworkers with their heads hung low. Their heads hung low. You guys know what that's like, some of you here. Like, man, I grew up in a poor family where I had duct tape on my shoes. My dad left when I was five because he was an alcoholic. My mom was a drug addict, had multiple dudes in and out of the house. First time I smoked weed was when I was 12 years old. First time I slept with a girl was when I was 17-ish or 16, somewhere in there. And I thought I found everything I could ever want. And then I got married. You know what I thought? I thought, boy, she's going to fix me. She's going to heal me. And you know what? It all fell apart. You know why it all fell apart? It's because I thought the sex that I would get in my marriage, I thought the clothes that I would get clean in my marriage, I thought, I thought all the food that would get put on the table, and I thought the way that she changed the diapers would heal me and fix me. You know what I found out? Didn't work. It didn't work. I was looking in the wrong place for cleansing and healing. And what I had to learn was the only place I can look to is Jesus, to Christ and Christ alone, to his cross. I remember growing up as a little kid, man, I know what it's like to go see a caseworker. In fact, back then when you were on food stamps, it wasn't a little EBT card that you got then. But then it was that you stood in a line that went down O Street in Lincoln, Nebraska on the sidewalk. And you stood there shamefully waiting to get your hand out. I can speak this way because I lived it and I know what it feels like when people drive by and call you names. I know what that life is about. I know what it's about to try to prove yourself and pretend like you're better than you're not. I know what it's like to grow up in shame, but I also know the good news of Jesus Christ when he comes and he says, your life is a friggin' wreck and it needs to get changed and you can't fix it. Look back and look at everything you did. Like all of that life leading up till now, was there anything that you did that fixed it? Listen, even you saying yes to Jesus, you can't own that. Like even in that's the mercy of God himself because he gave you the faith to say yes. He was the author and the perfecter of your faith. So you get no ownership over even you saying yes. If you're here and you're being stirred, if your heart's being moved, trust me, it's not because your affections are naturally bent towards God. They're not. They're naturally bent away from God. You and I, left to our own devices, would live in the sickness of our sin. Remember remember the skin disease, our sin disease. We would live in that if left to our own devices. If you're here tonight and you're being turned that way, it's because God the Father through the power of His Spirit is moving you to behold the cross of Christ where His sacrifice was made complete for you and I so that we could get wholeness. We could get cleansed. We could stand under the shower and the mercy of God's grace and just become clean. Amen. I love you guys.
Why would we look? Why would we want to look anywhere else for cleansing? Why would we look at any other place in the cross of Christ? Why would we want to go it alone and look to ourselves to fix our brokenness? Why would we resist God's cleansing? Why would we resist that? Why would we want anything other than the blood of Jesus which washes us whiter than snow? Man, the scriptures in Isaiah, right alongside of one of my favorite disciple songs says, though our sins they be as scarlet. Listen, though our sins they be as scarlet. Though our hands have been an enemy of God. Though our hearts have played the whore. Though our hearts have played the harlot. God gave us more than we deserve when he washed our hearts as white as snow. This is the message of the gospel. Why would you rest anywhere else? Why would you want anything else you wouldn't if you heard it and you believed it and it gave you great joy you would never look anywhere else why because it would bring you wholeness this is the message of the cross it's great news we are people in great need of cleansing and we can't cleanse ourselves but christ offers us all the cleansing we need in the shower of his grace through his work at the cross have you come to christ as a person in great need have you come to him as someone in great need it's not just that when we come to Christ, we need to come to him as somebody in great need. But it's also that we must come to him trusting in him. Do you struggle to trust in Christ? Do you struggle to trust in him? Do you at times wind up just trusting in your own ability, resting in your own uh, uh, work, trusting in your own strength, and then get let down again? Do you struggle to trust in Christ instead of trusting yourself? See, people who struggle to trust in Christ actually struggle with these things. Listen, people who struggle to trust in Christ actually struggle with deep roots of A, self-righteousness, B, self-focus, C, people-pleasing, and D, unbelief. Deep roots of self-focus, self-righteousness, people-pleasing, and unbelief. These are the things which war against us trusting in Christ. When we come to Christ, we must come to him as people who trust in him. And trusting in Jesus, people who trust in him actually praise God. Listen, the enemy of praising God is self-focus. Write that down. The, the thing that wars against you worshiping God and focusing on God is you worshiping yourself and focusing on yourself. It's not some external force that is stopping you. It's you. You and I, we are the issues. When we come to Christ, we're given a cross to die to ourselves. You think when Jesus says that, you, you think he means something else? Like, hey, here's a cross. Go die to yourself by living for yourself. No, hello. Not at all. Right? It's absurd. It's asinine, isn't it? Like that, that's not the message. The message is die to yourself. Get your focus off yourself. Quit worshiping yourself and start worshiping God. Luke tells us that when one of the lepers realized that he was healed, this is what he did. He turned back praising God with a loud voice. He turned back praising God with a loud voice. How loud can you guys get? Just show me. Yeah! Hmm. I think that's weak. <laughs> you expect me to say that, though. 
And the evidence that this healed leper actually trusted God was not so much proven by the miraculous cleansing of his sickness. So that would be the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Come, if you got enough faith, you will be healed. If you don't have enough faith, you won't be healed. Therefore, your healing is the proof of your faith. And wrong. Like, I call foul on that. I call heresy on that because that's not true. How many other people were standing in the crowd that Jesus didn't heal? That mean they, had, they lacked faith? No, no, not the story at all. Pitch that, right? The evidence that this healed leper actually trusted God was not so much proven by the miraculous cleansing of his sickness as it was proven by his public display of praise and worship of God. You want to know if you trust, believe, and have faith in Christ? It's proven by your lifestyle of worship. Man, he didn't run around and try to bring attention to himself by seeking the intimate touch that he probably longed for. He didn't run out and find the nearest chick to jump in bed with. He didn't go join his old homies to smoke another joint and celebrate. He didn't run down to the local bar to get trashed with all his friends. Why didn't he do these things like so many others often do? He didn't do these things because he was replacing, listen, listen, he was replacing his pursuit of self-esteem with God-esteem. You want to know, when somebody tells me, I struggle with self-esteem, you know what I say? What your real struggle is, is God-esteem. You don't esteem God enough, and you're trying to pursue yourself. God-esteem is the opposite of self-esteem. Self-pursuit is self Worship. God pursuit is God worship. Follow me? I mean, this is this is basic, right? Basic gospel for us. That when we come to Christ, we're handed a cross and we die to ourselves. We die to our pursuit of self-esteem. And we now pursue a God that we claim to worship who has set us free. God esteem is the opposite of self-esteem. This dude trusted in Jesus, and the evidence of his trust in Jesus was his public display of worshiping at his healer's feet rather than worshiping himself through self-focused, self-indulgent, self-gratifying pursuits of stroking his self-esteem. Need me to say that again? I will. I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it. This is like a big moment for me as I prepare, really. Like even for my own heart, realizing how much I focus on myself, how much I pursue good feelings. Man, I, I, want, I want my self-esteem to grow just like anybody else, right? I want that sin sickness to go away just like these lepers wanted their skin sickness to go away. That's what I want. The problem with that is it's a self-focus, not a God-focus, which is why I would say this dude trusting in Jesus and the evidence of his trust in Jesus. Listen, you're wondering whether you're following Jesus or not. The evidence of you following Jesus is leaving yourself behind and focusing on God, following him, esteeming him above all other things, worshiping him with your life and giving him your praise. This dude trusting in Jesus and the evidence of his trust in Jesus was his public display of worshiping at his healer's feet rather than worshiping himself through self-focused, self-indulgent, self-gratifying pursuits of stroking his self-esteem. I'm arguing for God-esteem, not self-esteem. 
If you esteem God, you worship him and you discontinue worshiping yourself. In fact, you repent of worshiping yourself. That's really the sin sickness that you and I struggle with. It's that God created all things that wound up being broken. We wind up worshiping broken things to raise our self-esteem, which becomes this ugly cycle. Why would we want to worship at the shrine of created beings and created things when we could worship at the feet of our Savior who created all things and who saves us and offers lasting change through the work of the cross and the message of the gospel? Why would we want to worship anything else? Why would we want to worship broken things and broken beings and broken selves when we could give our broken selves over to the wholehearted worship and esteem of our Savior, our Master, our King, our Creator? Why would we want anything else? And people who trust in Jesus praise and worship God with their lives. Not only that, but people who trust in Jesus give humble thanks to God. And the enemy of giving humble thanks to God is self-righteousness or self-reliance. Think about it. You either give humble thanks to God or you are self-righteous and self-reliant, giving yourself a pat on the back. Yo, I did that good today and you freaking suck, right? Right? I mean, anybody tracking with me on that? By the way, if you're here and you say you don't struggle with that, you should go over and you should look at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which says, He who says he's without sin is cut off, has no place in the kingdom. The only way that you and I can be without sin is by our faith and our trust in Christ. And the only way that you and I will grow in holiness and becoming like Christ is not following our checklist of what we do right versus what we do wrong. The way we become good is by being really bad. I'm coming to Jesus saying, I need you. I need your mercy. I need your cleanliness. I need you to change me. I'm trusting in him to do that work daily. It's a work of the gospel, not a work of your checklists. It's a work of the gospel. Luke tells us that after the leper was healed, after he turned back to Christ and God focused worship, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet giving thanks fell on his face. Like this is stuff that even little kids can get, right kids? Yeah. 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 This is what happens when you follow Jesus, you realize how dirty and how messy you are and how much you mess it up. And you come to Christ and you fall on your face and you worship him humbly, giving thanks to him for saving you in the good times and the bad. This is the proof and the evidence that you follow Jesus. This healed leper gave credit where credit was due. He didn't pat himself on the back. He gave credit where credit was due and not only that, but he did it with a heart of humble gratitude because he was overwhelmed by the grace and mercy of Christ. When was the last time you were overwhelmed, completely speechless, had nothing left to say because of the weight and the grandness and the glory of God's grace and mercy towards you in the picture of the cross of Christ? Man, if we really trusted in Christ, wouldn't we spend our lives more in a posture of humble gratefulness rather than this posture of prideful, self-reliant, self-righteousness? 
Wouldn't we find ourselves kneeled at the cross of Christ on our faces before the Savior who gave himself on our behalf? Why would you and I keep trying to crucify ourselves on our own behalf? Why would you and I keep trying to crucify everybody around us on our behalf? Why? Why would you look to anybody else to give you what only God can give you? And therefore continue to crucify other people. Man. Reason why? I'll tell you the reason why. The reason why we would get there and stay there is because we haven't been set free yet. Have you been set free? Have you come to Jesus? Have you come to him and are you casting off all of the old ways of living? Are you trusting in him? Is it evidence in the holiness that is being raised up in your life? People who trust in Christ renounce their self-righteousness. They renounce their self-reliance. They renounce ways of living that are opposed to God. And they trade them in for a life of giving humble thanks at the feet of God. The proof that you follow Jesus, the proof that you've come to him, the proof that you've trusted in him is that you give humble thanks to him. who trust in Jesus don't just do that but they're also willing to come to him alone and the enemy of being willing to come to Christ alone is this desire to be part of a crowd Luke tells us that the one leper who returned to praise and give humble thanks in front of Jesus was a Samaritan did you think about this? He was a Samaritan. He was an outsider. Not only was he an outsider because of his skin disease, but he was an outsider, like a double outsider because of his nationality. But when Jesus noticed this man, he asked this question. We're not ten cleansed? In other words, weren't there like ten people just gathered around me? Where are the nine? Where did everybody go? Where did everybody go? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? The idea behind this is that nine of the lepers that were there were religious people. They were religious people. And they kept right on going. Only one person came back. And this dude was somebody that Jesus didn't expect to be there. Just let that sink in. Like, is that you? Are you part of the nine? Or are you the one? Which one are you? I don't give a rip where you're sitting tonight in terms of a seat. What I care about is where is your heart seated? Where is your heart rested in? This dude was most likely the only irreligious dude in this colony of lepers who was healed. His trust in Christ was made obvious. Listen, his trusting in Christ was made obvious by his refusal to go with the crowd. Instead of following the crowd, he was willing to come to Jesus alone. Trusting in Jesus is a deeply personal and individual road that thankfully is not walked out alone, but it's walked out within the context of community as Jesus brings other healed people into relationship with his Father through the local church. We must never forget that to follow Christ 
means that we must reject the crowd that is walking away. We must reject the crowd that is heading the direction that we used to head. And we must follow him so that we can trust him. Listen, the healing that this man received, listen close. Make sure I got your attention. The healing that this man received didn't just go skin deep. The healing this man received didn't just go skin deep. It went deeper than his skin. The healing that this man received wasn't just a mere physical experience. You know how many people are showing up at church on Sundays and any other day of the week just to have some physical experience? They love being around people. They don't really like the counsel the pastor gives, but they kind of like the worship music. Yeah. A mere physical experience. They're not really there for Jesus. They're just there for some experience that makes them feel good. Sometimes makes them feel bad, but they kind of weigh the balance. Skin deep. Not following Christ. Not coming to Christ, trusting in him. This man that was healed, his healing went deeper than just his skin. It went deep into the darkest places of his heart and soul. Like the healing this man received was authentic heart healing. It was evidenced by his willingness to come to Christ alone, regardless of the crowd of people that were only looking for a mere physical experience. Where are you at with that tonight? Would you come to Christ alone, even if you were the only person on earth who followed him? And would it be evidence in your life? Would there be evidence of holiness and true healing and true wholeness in your life? Are people who trust in Jesus come to him and actually become whole? Let that rest. They actually become whole. Like the outcome of repentance from my old sinful ways of living and now believing and trusting in Christ, the the fruit of that is wholeness, not chaos. This is simple, right? Gospel simple. When you believe in Jesus, the chaos of sin is behind you and what's in you now and in front and ahead of you is now wholeness as you continue repenting in the gospel. People who actually trust in him become whole. The enemy of becoming whole is a lack of faith. That's the enemy. Lack of faith. This is why Jesus said to the healed leper, he says, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you whole. It's not that we do not have enough faith. We learned that a few weeks ago. It's not that we do not have enough faith. Trusting Jesus is all about having true and authentic, real faith that is proven by the wholeness that is coming out of your life. Little bit by little bit by little bit. You and I can place our faith in many things. But faith is only as authentic as the object in which it is placed in. Your faith is only as real as the object in which it is placed in. Are you, are you tracking? Okay. So, so if I place my faith and my trust in my marriage to my wife, Christy, and things fall apart, what happens to my faith? Simple, guys. Come on. What happens? It 
falls apart, right? Right? Life goes on tilt. I get trashed. I get on dope. I look at pornography. I have an affair. I leave my wife, right? When my faith and my trust is placed in this broken thing that we call marriage, which I pray for us too is whole, right? Okay? When I place my trust and my faith there, my faith and my trust is only as good as the object in which it's placed. The only place that you and I can find wholeness, this side of heaven, is in Christ alone. Will your marriage have issues? Yes. Will you be tempted to go back into pornography and lust? Yes. Will you fall in some of those areas at times? Yes. You know why? Because you ain't perfect. Deal with it, right? You ain't perfect. You ain't perfect. Your faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. If you place it in a broken object, your faith is broken. You place your faith and your trust in something other than Christ, your faith is broken. And listen, you think that because you prayed some prayer at some church or some camp or some getaway or some church altar one day, you think that just because you prayed a prayer and you believed the gospel, that in that moment your faith was perfected, you are naive. The reason I say that is because sometimes we have a tendency to to look back and say, well, that one time I walked the aisle, I took communion, I prayed with that person, I'm good now. No, you ain't good. Continued repentance and growth in holiness is is identifying those beliefs which are false. I believed that chick would bring me love like I wanted. I believed that that late night getting trashed would fulfill me. I believed in all these other things. I trusted in those things. They're broken. I'm now broken, not just worldly sorrow because I'm sorry I did that bad thing, but actual turning in repentance to believing and trusting in Christ who is the only one that can change us and bring us wholeness. Faith is only as authentic as the object in which it is placed. You and I can place our faith in many things that will fail us because they don't have the authentic power to save us or heal us or cleanse us or change us, which means that our faith would be rendered useless and lacking. This leper trusted in Jesus. Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you authentically come to him? How have you come to him? Jesus isn't useless. Jesus doesn't lack the power to heal or to save or to change us. Listen, listen, Romans 1.16 is very clear that the power of the gospel is for salvation. That the gospel is powerful for salvation. And then all throughout Romans, Paul lays out this message that the gospel is not only powerful for salvation, but it's powerful for radical change. Far too many Christians today claim the name of Christ and then live their lives from Sunday to Sunday as though they've never met him. And the reason is this, they've never believed the gospel People that I see and that I know that have heard and believed the gospel, their lives get changed incrementally, step by step, step by step, little bit by little bit. The gospel is powerful unto salvation, which brings us wholeness and completeness. This leper had faith that made him whole or complete because he was trusting in Christ, who is Listen, he was trusting in Christ who is whole and complete. Is there evidence of that kind of trust and belief in your life? Is there evidence of that? 
Or is there evidence of the chaos of sin and the sin sickness deep within you still emanating because you've been hiding and trying to prove and minimizing and blaming and excusing? That stops now. Like the line is drawn clearly for us. We can either be like that one leper who came back to Christ trusting in him for wholeness. Or you can be like the nine that kept going on about their lives. Why would we trust in our marriages, our friendships, our children, our possessions, our vocations, or our accomplishments to satisfy us and bring us wholeness when only Christ can give us the wholeness that we long for? How are you coming to Christ? Have you come to Christ as his servant? Have you come to Christ as a person in great need? Have you come to Christ as a person who trusts in him? Have you come to Christ? Bow with me and let's pray as our music team comes back forward. Father, I'm so grateful you don't have a watch. And that your love for us is not conditional upon the use of our watches. Father, thank you for the privilege that it has been this evening to serve our church family um, with this message from the scriptures. But I pray now as we head into a time of just closing and worship through song, but I pray that our hearts have been provoked to look to you. I pray that our hearts have been provoked to see you. I pray that our hearts have been provoked and compelled to turn our eyes off of the things of this life. And like Paul said, to turn them to the things of eternity, which is you. The message of the gospel, Lord, we need you. We need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your love. We need your cross. We need the gospel. God, we need you. Lord, I pray for us that you would break our hearts. Help us to trust you. Help us to believe you. Help us to become whole in you. Help us to come to you for our every need. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me as we close. Close our time as usual with a time in communion, if you're able to stand. If you're not, it's okay. Stay seated. If you're able to come to the front, too, we close in a song of worship, and we close by taking communion together. One invitation, one warning. Listen close. One invitation, one warning. Say it one more time. One invitation, one warning. The invitation is to come to Christ. If you have done that, if you're here, you're trusting him, great. If you have never done that and now was the moment that you did that, awesome. We're rejoicing with you. <coughs> in that invitation is also a secondary invitation to come and partake in communion. Do not need to be a member, only need to be a Christian. If you're here tonight, you've trusted in Jesus, you've trusted in the gospel, you're free to come, partake in communion. This is our way of remembering the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus at the cross. That's the invitation. The warning is this. If you're here and you're not following him, not trusted in him, the evidence of him at work in your life is not present, you're at odds with him right now, sit this out. Maybe, maybe be thinking of what it looks like to follow Christ. Maybe find one of us as a leader. Talk to us about what that might look like. We're glad you're here, even if you're not a believer or if you're struggling in those ways. Listen, there are times I don't take communion simply because I know that my heart is in a tough place. And the scriptures are clear 
that if anyone were to take communion in a way that is opposite what his life is, is, is showing would be to drink judgment upon yourself. Paul even goes on to say, this is probably why some of you are sick and dying. Ah. So the encouragement is this. If you're not in a place where you should take communion, then don't. I don't want this to be a faithless, uh, just a, a thing that you, you do. I want this to be real for you as an outflow of your relationship with Jesus. So the communion service will be near the front to serve you. There will also be two people, one here and one over there, to pray with you if, if you have any needs. I'd love to pray with you. Thanks for letting me preach tonight, guys. I love you. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.